Lord, we pray that you will open this text to our eyes as we so often pray that as we come to your word this morning that it will be your spirit who who guides us into all truth and helps us to see the passage for what it is, to help us to see the Son's intended meaning in what he said here. So we pray that you will do this, Spirit. We thank you for even the reminder that it is on Christ, the solid rock, that we stand, even at this very moment. And if that rock were to shift or ever be taken away, we would surely perish. But we thank you, Lord, that we have the steadfast rock of Christ on which we stand. Again, Spirit, we pray you open this passage to our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. The great explorer, Ernest Shackleton, led several British expeditions to the Antarctic in the early 1900s, which, of course, even to explore the Antarctic right now would be an incredibly dangerous thing to do. You can imagine the frigid temperatures, right? The the rocky boat rides, the stretches of darkness that are known in the Antarctic, and even the likely shortage of food, all of this would make anybody not want to go on such an adventure. But before one of the expeditions, Ernest Shackleton supposedly put a newspaper advertisement out asking others to join him on an expedition. And the reason I say supposedly is because there's a good chance it's advertisement, I want to say advertisement because it sounds British, but the advertisement may be more of a legend than it is actual. But this is what the advertisement supposedly said. Men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in event of success. Now I'm curious as to how many of you would be enticed by such an advertisement. Hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, hours of darkness, doubtful return. Some of you may be thinking that kind of sounds like your morning commute here in Maine during the winter. But in this morning's text, we have a similar sort of advertisement from Jesus. And maybe we could put it in the same way that Shackleton supposedly did. Men and women wanted for hazardous journey, self-denial, cross-bearing, losing your present life, forfeiting the world, reward from Christ, an event of success. You see, in order to follow Ernest Shackleton in this expedition that he was going on, you had to be willing to suffer. You had to be willing to risk your life. You had to be willing to deny yourself the pleasures of this current life in order to attain the reward. And it is the same with following Jesus. The following after Jesus, really and truly following after Jesus, is a dangerous business. After telling his disciples in the previous verses that we looked at last week that he was going to suffer and eventually die and even be raised from the dead, Jesus knows exactly what is going on in the disciples' hearts and minds as he tells them what he tells them in our passage before us this morning. The disciples thought that the kingdom that he was offering was some kind of earthly kingdom, more like Israel's kingdoms of old. And with that, they thought that it was going to be some sort of picnic, some kind of easy street for them. Their mindset concerning their discipleship was going to be to follow Jesus to a life of ease and to a life of comfort. Even a life of of power and wealth 
that would come with this kind of kingdom. Which is why we later even find them, you remember, they, they argue about who is going to be greatest in the kingdom. The disciples kind of discussing among themselves on the way, well, I'm probably going to be the greatest, I'm going to be the greatest. Even the mom of a couple disciples, hey Jesus, can my son sit at your right hand and your left hand when you come into your kingdom? They thought that it was going to be this great and glorious earthly Kingdom, And within our text this morning, Jesus is going to totally obliterate that perspective that would make the disciples feel as though it is going to be this kind of kingdom and this kind of life for them. He's going to bring it together for them very succinctly of what it looks like to be a disciple. He's going to smash our perspective as well that assumes that following Jesus is something that we do in order to make our lives easier or better instead of difficult. But following Jesus was never intended to be easy. Even a couple verses ago, he informed the disciples of his own suffering that he would endure. And in this morning's text, he informs them of the suffering or the difficulty that they must endure. Look again with me at verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, and follow me. So the first qualification here that he gives to the disciples, for those who would go after him, are that disciples of Christ deny themselves. Disciples of Jesus deny themselves. Now what does it mean for somebody to deny themselves? In our minds, self-denial is often attached to uh, the form of eating right and exercising. Right? We deny ourselves a dessert at night for our overall health, Regardless of how badly we want that dessert. And so in order to be truly helpful or truly healthy, we need to deny ourselves the food that we perceive as pleasurable. That food that we want in that moment. But when Jesus is talking about self-denial here, what exactly is he meaning? And I thought that one author put it well. Self-denial is to give up our natural inclinations and part with all of the affections of the flesh. And thus give our consent to be reduced to nothing Provided that God lives and reigns in us. So when Jesus says to deny yourself, he's doing what he always does. He is plumbing to your very heart. He is diving into your hearts. As his followers, it is necessary that we give up and that we destroy our natural inclinations. That we deny ourselves, realizing that what is... What is natural within us, as far as our desires go, are counter to what is spiritual and good and godly. Have you ever wondered why self-denial is so difficult? Even eating that piece of cake, why is it so difficult to hold back? Or that extra piece of bread, why is it so difficult? Or even to refuse to stay in bed for 10 minutes longer and to just keep on hitting that snooze. Why is it so hard to just... Keep your hand in and say, no, I'm going to get up. On a more serious note, why is it so difficult to refrain from gossiping? Why is it difficult to not lust and to lie and to cheat and to steal and all the rest? Why does breaking commandments come so easily? Why does fulfilling our fleshly desires come so easy and denying them? Why is it so hard? That's because from the moment that you and I are born... When we come into existence, we are driven by our appetites. You and I have insatiable desires. We desire to feast upon whatever it is our flesh wants. We see that expressed in Ephesians chapter 2 where we turn back to so 
often. The Apostle Paul says that apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, following the course of the world, following after Satan, living according to our passions, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. This is our total bend as we come into the world. When we come into the world, even as infants, we are craving things. And Jesus says that as disciples of his, we must deny ourselves. This is the kind of life that we are called to live. Like the Apostle Peter, you remember when he denied Jesus three times? He denied him so vehemently, even with cursing, that he denied that he knew Jesus. So must we deny ourselves. The world will tell you that you need to be true to yourself. That you are your own truth. That you are the key for fulfillment in your own life. No, you need to deny yourself. People who are true to themselves cannot be true to Jesus. People who are true to Jesus do not fall back on something as twisted as being true to themselves. You look through the pages of the New Testament and even in church history, and you will not find the disciples or the early church to be filled with people who are true to themselves or who buy into that kind of ideology by any means. They were true to Jesus. They did not count themselves to be significant. They cannot count their significance to be in the fact that they were privileged to serve and to live for King Jesus. Listen to the Apostle Paul again, who lived his life unto Christ and not unto self. He underwent countless beatings and often near death. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. This is what being a disciple of Jesus can put potentially look like this is the reality that many of the disciples have faced most all of them suffering actually all of them suffering and most all of them dying for Christ's sake the apostle Paul after Jesus's example lived a life of self-denial which is exactly what Jesus is getting at he's not talking about some sort of one-time self-denial as we initially submit to him upon our conversion He is talking about a daily self-denial. This is the kind of self-denial that causes us to not think about ourselves, but to live for Jesus. Think of what the opposite of self-denial would be, or, or dying to yourself. It would be living for yourself, living for yourself, living for you. This is what the world encourages. Live and express what you feel which is producing so much chaos in the world. A a world where 7 billion people are their own truth and doing what they want to do and living for themselves. That's a scary world to live in. Brothers and sisters, we must deny ourselves daily if we are to be his disciples. But the next thing that Jesus says is that disciples take up their cross. Luke chapter 9 records the word daily. He says, daily you take up your cross. And what does Jesus mean by taking up the cross? He has just informed his disciples that he is going to suffer, although you notice that he doesn't mention the cross, the means by which he would die. 
Yet here he brings up the fact that disciples must take up their cross on a daily basis. And so if you're a Jew at this time in Israel, you're in Palestine at this time, and Jesus mentions a cross, you know exactly what a cross is for. You know that this is an instrument of torture and ultimately a a means to kill a guilty person. They had likely seen many people with a cross on their back walking to where they would be crucified. This was a very vivid illustration for the Jews as they would often see people walking to their Roman crucifixion. So the analogy here is crystal clear to the disciples. To be a disciple of Jesus means not only to deny yourself, but to take up your cross They knew that the one being crucified, that was carrying their cross, was required to carry it some of the way to where the crucifixion would take place. And they knew what it meant to pick up the cross and had seen it so many times. So as the disciples, they are to daily pick up their cross. So this is just so vivid. This this picture of, of daily, wake up, there's my cross, I pick it up and I walk. This is a picture of struggle. This is a picture of Pain. This is not a lush seat sitting at the right or left hand of King Jesus. To pick up their cross was to pick up an instrument of torture and make the painstaking, agonizing walk to death. Brothers and sisters, a cross is not a pendant to hang around your neck. It is an instrument of torture to place upon your back. This is as if Jesus says, take the electric chair, throw it on your back, follow me. Take that hangman's noose, make it nice and snug, and walk and follow after me. The point of bearing a cross is suffering and ultimately, if required, dying. Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 10, Whoever does not take up his cross and follow after me, he is not worthy of me. Luke 14 says, If you do not take up your cross, you can't be my disciple. Acts 14.22 says, We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Where did we ever get the idea that following after Jesus was going to be hunky-dory? When did we get that idea? Or, Or when did we get the idea that following after Jesus was going to make our life simple or pain free? Where did we get the idea that there would never be persecution? Jesus himself says here that following after him is going to require bearing a cross upon your back. You know, in regards to our evangelism, we have taken this Jesus from this passage and we have traded it with soft Jesus. Follow Jesus and he'll give you stuff. Follow Jesus, he'll make it easy for you. But I challenge you, even in your evangelism, don't go up to somebody, and hear me right on this, don't go up to somebody and say, all you need to do is ask Jesus into your heart. That's a load. In your evangelism, go to them and say, look at what Jesus says a disciple does. It is not ask soft Jesus into your heart. It is follow after Jesus. Deny yourself totally. Take your cross and throw it on your back. Then you follow after him. That's the kind of Jesus we're following. Consider even the Ernest Shackleton illustration. Who in the world would want to go on that kind of a hazardous journey? The kind who would want to go to follow hard after Ernest Shackleton and just go where he goes and do what he does and imitate him and follow a man of that kind of caliber. 
This is so vital. But you know, in our country we lived in, we really haven't even dealt with persecution. Jesus clearly says here that disciples are to take up their cross, indicating that the Christian life was never meant to be easy. But as you tell your family and you tell your friends about Jesus, don't give them a Jesus that doesn't have any expectations. Don't give them a Jesus that just wants to make their life better or easier. Give them a hard Jesus. Give them a Jesus that is worth following. That through the suffering, we would be made more to be like him. When you wake up in the morning, as you consider taking up your cross, as followers of Jesus, do you feel that weight upon your back? Wake up, there's your cross, you take it, you put it on, and as you go through the day, you feel the weight. You shift it to your other shoulder, because this one's weary, and you go. I love the words of this one song, older song, called God's Own Fool. So come lose your life for the carpenter's son, for a madman who died for a dream. And you'll have the faith his first followers had, and you'll feel the weight of the beam. Do you feel the weight of the beam press on your faith-strengthened shoulders, even at this moment? Are there 40 or 50 people here with crosses on their backs? What are you going to do if the world starts to persecute you and revile you and hate you for believing what you believe as a disciple. Does that cross come off? Flick it to the side? The life of a disciple, the life of one who follows after Jesus is purposefully hard. It is purposefully heavy. It is purposefully a weight. And it has always been this. Like I've alluded to, there's something that's going on and has been going, around, going on for quite a while called the prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel says that if you believe in Jesus, it is going to go well with you. So there's pastors. I, I was telling somebody, I was feeling a little uh, spiritually spicy. I don't know what the word would be. I'm going on vacation, so I feel like dropping a bomb. I usually don't say names, but I'm going to because this is what they represent. People who write books like Your Best Life Now, Joel Osteen, don't read it. It's, it's junk. It is not This kind of gospel. It is a prosperity gospel. That says. That if you follow after Jesus. You're going to get stuff. You follow after Jesus. And he's going to give you a car. And he's going to give you a house. And he's going to make you healthy and whole. That's what Jesus wants to give you. So the reason that Jesus isn't giving you that kind of stuff. Is because you don't have enough faith. To believe that he would actually do it. That's a load. That is junk. As you scan the New Testament, and even as we read about the Apostle Paul, you discover how the Apostles suffered for Jesus. And you read in church history about the martyrs who died for Jesus. And even in your experience, as you feel that weight of the cross, you quickly realize that discipleship has absolutely nothing through gaining nice things or living an easy life. It has everything to do with gaining Christ through suffering. So disciples deny themselves. Disciples take up their cross. And third, disciples follow after him. Two simple words. Follow me. And as disciples, that's exactly what we do. They follow the one who is discipling them. They follow after Jesus. They follow the one who perfectly denied himself. Who perfectly took up the cross upon himself. And they follow him wherever he leads. This is the way a disciple lives. So I think if you want to boil down the Christian life to two words. Follow me. That's what it is. 
It's a daily, constant following after Jesus. Where is Jesus going? That's where I want to go. What does the Bible say about Jesus and where he's leading? That is where I am going to go. What Jesus is saying here is that we follow him as disciples in our words and in our actions and in our thoughts. That we are actually mimicking and modeling our lives after him. Many of you, uh, I know, have heard the question, uh, if you were to stand trial for being a disciple of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Is it obvious in your life, your daily week, as you go about your day and you go to work and you're in your family and so forth, is there enough evidence to convict you of being a disciple of Jesus? Jesus here this morning is very simply laying out what it means to be a disciple. Deny yourself like I deny myself. Take up your cross like I have taken up my cross and follow me wherever I lead. This is true discipleship. But because of what it is that he has called us to put on our back, we don't simply follow him to greener pastures. We follow him even as his disciples did to the death. See, there is a great cost in following Jesus. Look with me at verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What Jesus is doing here is he's correlating your life now with your eternal life. If you are willing to save your life here on earth, you are going to lose your life when you die. But if you lose your life now, you will find eternal life when you die. What would it look like to live in this kind of way? To live in a way where you are willing to lose your life right now. Again, in in the world that we live in, it's so hedonistic. Everybody is out to get theirs. But what if we lived in a way that demonstrated that everything in this life and in our lives is disposable? Notice that we don't lose our lives here though. In verse 25, we don't lose our life for our own sake. We don't lose our life for our family's sake or the church's sake. We are to lose our life, as it says there in verse 25, for his sake. If we lose our life for his sake, then we will find the eschatological reality of finding our life to be true. Our own eternal existence to be true. What a terrible trade it is to trade your eternal life and give it up for this moment. You know the years just flee by. What a ridiculous trade it is to take your eternal life and to switch it out with your present life. When I was a a kid, we used to trade baseball cards in elementary school. And most of the kids that traded the baseball cards, they were a little older. So they kind of knew the values of the cards better. They knew the players better. And so us younger kids, we'd get totally raked over the coals. We'd get like fake cards, you know, that didn't have any kind of like uh, information on them. And so they ended up with our $3 card and we got their 50 cent card or whatever. But that happened all the time where we would trade something valuable For something that really wasn't. And I wonder if any of us here are trading away the glories of that eternal existence with Jesus for this pleasant, this present life. The saying goes that everything has a price. And I wonder this morning what the price tag is on your soul. What are you willing to sell your soul for? What pleasure of this world is worth the exchange of your soul? Jesus has further questions to probe in verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? 
Would you lose your eternal soul to gain the world? Would you trade your soul for a bunch of money? Would you trade your soul for power? Would you trade your soul for sex? George Beverly Shea used to sing at the old Billy Graham revivals. And he would sing, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. And is that something that if we were to sing that now, that all of us could sing that in unison, in a clear conscience, that we would rather have Jesus than absolutely anything this world could give us. Do you remember the rich man in Lazarus? The rich man, he had gained the whole world. He had lived a cushy life. It was great for him. Lazarus lived the kind of life where the dogs would come and lick his sores. And there's this, thing, there's this story that Jesus gives us where the rich man is down in hell and Lazarus is in heaven resting in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man looks up into heaven from hell and, he, and Abraham says to him, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. That is a bad trade. Trading the comforts of heaven for the comforts of this life. As disciples, we cannot look into the world for our reward. We do not look to gain the world or the things of the world. Instead, our reward is going to be from Christ. Look at verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Jesus is going to come, number one. Notice how He's going to come. He's going to come with His angels. Jesus is above and beyond the angelic beings. Hebrews chapter 1 is clear on that. They do the work. The angels do the work of His bidding. And they are going to come with Him in the glory of His Father. But notice what Jesus is going to do when He comes. He is going to repay each person according to what He has done. So the idea here is that, is that good or bad, every single person is going to be repaid or rewarded for the deeds that he has done in this life. The word here, repay, indicates both positive and negative connotation. So you, if you are a faithful, self-denying, cross-bearing disciple of Jesus, you're going to be rewarded. But if you are an unfaithful, Jesus-denying, cross-scoffing person, you are going to be repaid according to your deeds. On this great and awful day, when Jesus returns, there is going to be much rejoicing on the part of believers and great fear on the part of those who rejected Him. There will be those whom Jesus looks at and He says, enter into the joy of my Master, your Master. And to others He's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And do you know what will determine which response that Jesus gives to you as you stand before Him? whether you were an actual disciple or not. This may sound strange, but one of the things I've learned in the past couple years of pastoring is that I'm not God. I can't see your hearts. I can watch your life. I can have conversations with you. 
But at the end of the day, I cannot look into your heart and see what is going on. And I don't know if before me this morning, every single one of you is a Christian. Or if 25 of you simply think that you're a Christian. But I do know this. That those who deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Jesus and refuse the world. You are the ones who will enter into the joy of your master. And my plea to you this morning is to analyze yourself and to detect whether or not you are a disciple of Jesus. You might be here and you're like, I know that I'm not a disciple of Jesus. Then it is time to submit yourself and to deny yourself and to bear that cross and to begin pursuing and following him by trusting in his work that he did on your behalf. Through his death and his resurrection and his ascension that he is now there in heaven. But we must, if you do not know the Lord, you must deny yourself. You must submit yourself to his lordship. But to those of you who are here, analyze yourself. Are you a genuine disciple of Jesus? Do you live daily by denying yourself? Or do you live for yourself? Do you daily pick up your cross? Are you not even cognizant of the fact that you have a cross to bear? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Lord, we thank you for your word and how it challenges our thinking and how it gives us a real sense of who you are and what you require of us. We pray that if there are those here who do not know you, who may even think that they know you, open their eyes, peel away the calluses of their heart to see that they must deny themselves, to take up their cross and to follow, knowing that you will reward us. Lord, we pray that you will do a great work in our church We pray that you will shake us all and help us to see what real discipleship is. And we pray this all in the name of the one whom we follow. Amen.